guys weren't here last week, we're looking at our five core values uh, this, this for the next three weeks. And Pastor Tembo, who's heading up the team, he was, I was trying to get him this week because usually the second core value we look at is evangelism, as Harold mentioned. But Pastor Tembo can be a next Sunday, so we're really looking forward to that. He's preaching at another church, Pastor Tembo, in Maritzburg today. So I'm going to be looking at the next one. So, but I just wanted to rewind and say my core values. And uh, I, I like this little quote over here. The mission allows you to see where you are going, but the values are the roads that will take you there. Okay? And it's very much like when you're navigating on your phone. Okay? Say you want to go to the men's event on Thursday night. So Josh is busy just checking where A is right now on his phone. So what, uh, there, your mission says where you're going. Where, on Thursday night, 7 o'clock, Josh is going to AE, okay? He knows where he's going. But then he puts in, he puts in whatever African enterprise, he finds it, and then he says, click start. And what then happens is Google Maps very cleverly finds out which roads Josh needs to take from his home in Scottsville to get to the men's event on, on Thursday night. And there are a number of roads Josh needs to take. Those roads or the values is like the values that you need to walk in order to get to your destination. It's so important that we realize, folks, there was an ad, and there have been actually many ads, that the, the whole principle, for some people, it's all about the destination. For some people, it's all about the journey. And I want to say it's both. Amen? God does, you're created for a purpose. There is a plan. There is a destination God has for your life. But he wants you to enjoy the journey and he wants you to glorify him on the journey. It's so sad when we're so laser focused on our mission and our purpose and our, uh, all these things. And we're, just, we're hurting people along the way. We, we're not doing it. We're not glorifying God on the way. We think, man, when we get there, we'll bring glory to God. But how about bringing glory to God while you're driving there? Josh is going to be putting on worship music and singing and glorifying God as he goes. Amen. He's not going to, you know, kind of drive like he's playing some some uh, racing game, you know, how many pedestrians can you get? Hit 50 points for each pedestrian, you know. You're not going to glorify God by, you know, knocking over a couple of pedestrians on the way to hear about being a man of God, okay? So the, the journey is important, and your values determine how you walk the journey, amen, in order to get to the destination. So it's very important. So just, um, um, okay, so uh, just regarding mission, just, I mean, you guys hope you all know this, as every nation, our mission is we exist to honor God by establishing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, socially responsible churches and campus ministries in every nation, okay? These are mission statements. This is where we are going. The, the, the kinds of churches and campus ministry we want to establish is defined over there. And it starts with we exist to honor God. I'm telling you, I think that's one of my favorite bits. You know, I, I can't say it's my favoritist bit, but that we want to do this to honor God. We see this is a strong, this is what the Great Commission is, 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 is about. We see that, we committed to that. But core values. So our, for the five core values we're covering, and Awonke started last week, did such a brilliant job. Is Awonke here this morning? Or is he recovering from the rugby? Oh. No, sorry, I brought up the rugby, guys. Forgive me. Okay. <laughs> I was so impacted by what Awonke shared last week, this whole week, just been meditating, 
so much on lordship and how profound significant it is that we say how are we going to walk this journey towards establishing these churches and campus ministries we're going to walk in lordship it is the way we're going to it's one of the the highways we are taking on the way to establishing these churches and these campus ministries is we are walking in lordship and um i I'm just going to put all five core values up and, and then I'll talk a little bit. So the five core values are lordship, evangelism, discipleship, leadership development, and family. Um, in the beginning of 2020, we had a pastor's get-together up in Gauteng, and I went to that. It was literally one month before COVID hard lockdown happened. I remember, the, I remember being at the airport and seeing some people wearing masks, and I thought, you guys look weird. You know, you're actually scaring me. Where's your faith? Why are you wearing a mask? I mean, what are you afraid of? You know? Okay, okay. You can see sometimes some of us battle with issues of issues. <laughs> I've got issues on my issues. Okay. One stage I thought, why wear a mask? Okay. I didn't know. I'd spend a few years wearing a mask. Okay. Um, and by the way, I'm not anti-mask, just tell you. But there was a stage that I thought, it looked, people look weird with masks. Okay. <laughs> Where was I going? Oh, yes, we were at this pastor's gathering, and it was amazing time. Steve Murrell was, Steve Murrell heads up Every Nation internationally, and he's just a cool guy. And we had, um, it was just three days, two nights, and at the evenings, it was, it was February, it was nice and warm, and we, we actually sat around a bonfire, and it was really nice, and we had these Q&A times with Pastor Steve Murrell, and it was so nice, just in a relaxed fashion, just hearing him sharing various things about leadership and church and all kinds of things. And he shared there where these five every nation core values were came from, their origin. And, and I really sat up and I listened. And he shared that it happened in 2000 that a number of the every nation leaders came together in America at Palm Springs. And when he said it, the pen dropped for me. We were part of every nation. We're part of his people, should I say. I mean, Jen and I started at his people in the late 80s. 1988, I started at his people. So it's been 34 years. And when we were, we were part of his people, his people was planting churches all over South Africa. In 2000, there were about 14 his people churches all around South Africa. And we met and, and connected with this network of churches from America and overseas called Every Nation. And... and what happened at these meetings at Palm Springs, I remember hearing about them from our South African pastors who went to these meetings. One of the things they did at these meetings at Palm Springs is they were saying, what are the core values that we can agree that this is how we are going to walk together in the nations? This is the this glue. You know, we talk about bricks and we talk about that the church is like a spiritual building. Our core values Oh, it's, it's like the cement. These bricks are held together by cement. It's like cement that keeps us together, okay? And, and I remember those meetings, and I remember our pastors coming back and saying, guys, we had agreed that, and, and that's where we joined in Every Nation was 2000. And I remember them coming back and saying, these are the core values that we agreed. This is how we're going to walk together. This is what we're agreeing to. This is how we're going to walk together. Now, they are all thoroughly biblical, okay? I can give lots of scripture references for all of them. And there are many core values that you can pull out for your personal life, for your family, for your business, for your organization. If you're a Christian, I trust they're all biblical. Amen? 
as a church, I believe it's important that we can say these things are so important that this is going to guide how we're going to walk together. So we start with lordship, and then usually we do evangelism, but that's next week when Timber comes. So I'm going to do discipleship. But before I do that, I want, I want to just mention lordship, I told you, was just, the Lord was just drilling down into my soul the significance of lordship. And I remember, let's, next slide. So remember, I won't get this slide up last week. Brilliant graphic. And that actually, uh, it actually comes from the one-to-one. And he's highlighting at the top how often the word Savior occurs in the New Testament. And the bottom, how often the word Lord occurs in, 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 hang on, sorry. Yellow is axe, whatever. You see, I'm looking, it's behind me. I can't see it properly. You guys can see it. I won't care. Help me. <laughs> All I know is that there's a hang of a lot of times that Lord is mentioned as opposed to Savior, okay? It's difficult to read. I don't have ears behind my head. Okay, you see, guys, I actually did study engineering. I do usually figure out graphs. But we don't have time to preach and explain a graph. It's a bit beyond me, okay? Anyway, I remember looking at this graph when I was doing it and saying, the graphic is significant. How many more times in the New Testament the word Lord is used by the authors of the New Testament speaking about Jesus as opposed to Savior. It is disproportionately how many. I remember doing a study specifically looking at people who really walked with Jesus. John the Apostle. I mean, if you study his relationship, he's probably the closest to Jesus. Jesus wrote in John for, uh, uh, John 10, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. He's inviting John into a friendship relationship with him. But John addresses Jesus as Lord. How about James, the half-brother of Jesus? He calls Jesus Lord. And now, folks, and I want you to do such a brilliant job highlighting that, you know, in those days, because of government structures where you had these, these kings and these uh, rulers that were, were lords, they, we don't get it comparing today. But I want to say this, that the word Lord was the word used for God, Jehovah, in the Old Testament. And they basically took the same word. In the Greek, the word for Jehovah is translated Lord, and it carries through in the New Testament. So you must know, when James is addressing Jesus as Lord, he's acknowledging that his half-brother is God is God. That's what the guys are saying. It's like, he isn't just my pal. John didn't say, he's my buddy, he's my mate, we walked three years. He's saying, when he says, Lord, he says, Jesus is my God. It is huge what they are saying and how they saw Jesus. They were saying, he is God. And I remember, I was talking to somebody about this, and I remembered, I was talking to Jen about it this week. Somebody was saying to me years ago, I said, yeah, but you know, the word lordship isn't found in the Bible. The word lord is, but not lordship. And I was a young believer, and it really rattled me. I was like, how can you talk about lordship if the word is not found in, in Scripture? But just remember this, that words, words contain ideas that we have inside of us, and a word captures an idea. The question is, does the concept of lordship occur in Scripture? And I want to rewind. If guys in the, who wrote the Bible, these are the apostles, over 
700 times are referring to Jesus as Lord, Curious, Master, Supreme Ruler, first with no close second. That's what they're referring to when they say Lord. If they are calling Him Lord, what does it mean? What is your heart attitude inside of you if you are calling Jesus Lord? Lordship, if, if, if Lord, the word Lord is coming out of your mouth, so many times when you're writing the Bible. What is your heart attitude towards Jesus? And I want to say it's Lordship. If you're calling Him Lord, in the heart, your heart attitude is Lordship. And, and this is so significant. And, and in our staff meeting this week, we went around in our staff meeting and I asked the staff, I said this, if you're sitting with a new believer and you had to describe to them what Lordship is, how would you and it was so fascinating. And I should have actually just put it up on the screen. I'm not, so, so relax. I'm, it was all brilliant what they said. But for me, it was this. If you're calling, if leadership is a reality in your life, what does it mean? It means that you are wholeheartedly devoted Jesus as Lord, as your master, as number one with no close second as God, right? A wholehearted devotion. And I just loved what Awonke said. In Bible times, sometimes when they used to baptize the Roman centurions and the Roman soldiers, and the Roman soldiers were like, my job is to use this hand to kill people with a sword, okay? And I know that's not very Christian, okay? This is this Roman soldier battling with his vocation as a soldier. And I want to, I'm not going to go there, but there definitely is a case for, I mean, biblical case for war. I'm not going there. But the story is how, and Awonke just explained it so brilliantly, how these Roman soldiers would say, you can baptize me, but can I hold my hand that uses my sword above the water when you baptize me? And they were saying, I'll give part of my life to Jesus, but not all of it. And folks, Lordship means all, every aspect, Lord. Even this arm that I, this hand that I used to kill people, I give it all to have it. Just so brilliant. Guys, you must listen to that message by Awonke. So we're looking at discipleship. And, and I'm actually, as I was preparing about discipleship, I was like, if you don't get lordship, I don't think you can actually do discipleship. Because discipleship is actually how people who who get lordship walk. This is how we do life. This is normal life. We do discipleship. If, if Jesus is Lord, this is, this is how we roll. This is, this is how we do it around here. Discipleship is not a program to make Christians better. It's a strategy to change the world. A strategy to change the world. Listening to Michael Cassidy and, and um, on th- uh, Friday night was the banquet dinner at City Hall, folks exactly to the day, 60 years, since they had their first outreach at at City Hall. 60 years. On the 12th of August, 1962, they had a meeting. There was a traffic jam outside City Hall. Everybody coming to listen to Michael Cassidy speak. And I I love the story. My wife's telling me I'm getting distracted. I acknowledge I'm a hopeless case of getting distracted person when I'm preaching. Okay, just deal with it, okay? I, I, I have slides to help me. She's nodding. She's realizing I'm going somewhere else. Okay, but it's fine. 
You know, people actually come back to church because... <laughs> don't tell me if the reason you don't come back to church is not stick to his slides, okay? Michael Cast, you know how he got there? He felt called to Africa to evangelize the city. He traveled 1,000 kilometers around Africa, visiting the cities of Africa. Uh, when he was in West Africa, he walked on a beach, and he, and he took 50 paces on a beach, and he said, God, give me 50 years evangelizing the cities of Africa. God's given him 60 years. And he was like, God, where on earth do you want me? He traveled to all the countries of Africa. He came to Peter Marisburg, and, there were, and he was invited to speak to students on this campus right over here, our campus. He doesn't know how or what or why they invited him, quite frankly. I mean, or maybe I forget the story. Okay, you guys can tell me. He gets invited to come and speak here. The students are so impacted by him. Three students book him for the following year, 12th of August, 1962, to come and speak at City Hall. He says he still doesn't know why they booked him. He came, revival broke out. People gave their heart to the Lord. People were saved was amazing and he said this is where i'm birthing african enterprise folks it was started in our campus who says you need to be in joburg or new york or london to do great things for god amen folks african enterprise for 60 years thousands of people have come to know the lord and god called michael cassidy to start it in peter maritzburg and it was students on the campus who got him here students you want to change the world you don't have to get a job in new york do you realize that be obedient to God where you are. Amen. And so this is amazing. Michael Cassidy said this. He says, my prayer is for a transformational revival to South Africa. A transformational revival. Why transformational? People have said the gospel in Africa has gone a mile wide and one inch deep. People have come to know Jesus in their millions, but they don't know Jesus. They haven't got baptized with one arm out. You know, it's kind of both arms and both legs and their head out. You know, just baptize sort of that part. You can baptize my knee, pastor. Okay. It's like, I'll give that part. But not wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus as Lord. Amen. And so, if we, I hear Michael saying, I want a transformational revival. A revival that will change people. Oh, man. Oh, I heard a joke. And all of you guys that who were there, you are not allowed to give it away. But it's such a good joke of the need for transformation. So this, this, this mom, okay, Jane, you must also laugh at the end. I know you know. So this mom comes to the pastor. She's really worried about her son. Her son's finished school. He's 18, 19. He's out of school. But he's just, he's directionless. He's just kind of staying at home. And he, he, he hasn't got direction in his life. And the mom comes to the pastor and says, Pastor, I'm really, I'm worried about my son. Please help me. The pastor I've got a brilliant strategy, okay? I'm going to give you three things to pray over. You put them in your son's room, okay? And then, and then you see which one he takes, and you will know which, where God's calling him to. So the pastor says, take a, a wallet full of money, take a bottle of alcohol, and take a Bible. Put it in his room, leave it there, pray over it. Watch what he comes with. Mom prays for a little while. The boy comes out of the room and he's got the wallet in one hand he's got the bottle of booze in the other hand he's got the bible under his arm <laughs> and the mom's like how do i pray now she goes back to the pastor's pastor help me she tells the pastor what happens the pastor says listen don't worry don't worry it's it's not a problem he 
<laughs> no, we laugh. And it's like, ah, how does that happen? But folks, we don't need the gospel of salvation. To, we need lordship. Amen? I mean, it doesn't look good when you, you know, got a bottle of booze in one hand and a Bible under your hand and you're trying to take somebody else's money. It doesn't look good, folks. Okay, you need to baptize you with all of that. Get it under the water, amen? Disciples are not a program to make Christians better. It's a strategy to change the world. And this is just from uh, the discipleship notes that I was looking at. Everything we do as a movement, we do in the light of discipleship. That is helping people to know God more and live for His purposes. Helping people to know God more. Did a series last year on the imperative of knowing God. Folks, if we don't help people, disruption's not a sort yourself out, you know, do better, get better program. First and foremost, it's about knowing defining discipleship. It's about building three key relationships. And I love the concept of that it's about relationship. We are relational beings. Do you know the amount of dysfunction that psychologists said have come into our society through the hectic lockdowns we've been through in the last two and a half years? The amount of psychological problems uh, that people have got just because they've been relationally disconnected. You were created to be in community with others and most importantly, for relationship with God. Amen? It's about building three key relationships. God with non-believers and with people, or in our world, His people. Amen? This is what it's about. Remember, we passion about Him and people. And I want to emphasize, it's absolutely, we want to see people being hopelessly devoted to Jesus. Amen? But it's also... We are passionate about absolutely God's people, but also those who don't know God. You've heard me often saying the church is the only organization in the world that exists for non-members. Amen? Exists for non-members. And that's why there are people all over Peter Maritzburg going out there to people they've never met before. They have no relationship with them. They are compelled by the love of God. Amen? Three key relationships. I was talking to somebody recently. And this person wasn't a believer. And it was so interesting. This person's biggest concern was her mother-in-law. Mother-in-law was 89 and and from what I can tell, a committed Christian. And the mother-in-law was keep on speaking to her her daughter-in-law about the reality and the deep conviction that hell is a real place that if you don't get right with God, that that is a reality. And this lady was very upset. Her, her only concept of becoming a Christian was, well, then you escape the H place. And she was like, I can't do it if that's my only reason. And, and, I, and, and she was like, because then I'm, I'm just doing it because I'm motivated by fear. And you know, I actually, I didn't, I don't know God bless her mother-in-law. I don't know her, and I'm not judging her, but I was so struck by this woman that, you know, God wants to have a relationship with you. And, and I shared with her, and my total approach was, I was actually surprised at my conviction 
about how much God wants to have relationship with us in terms of how I shared with her. I said, and then I said, and I said, I'll tell you about the H place. I said, if God wants relationship with you, I want to tell you, going to that big H place is the place you go when, when you are totally from relationship with God. Think of everything, how amazing having relationship with God is. Take that all away, and I'm, I'm, I'm in that, that other place, that H place. I pray, you just describe it. And so I was so amazed at my conviction that God wants to have relationship with him. He was so surprised at my response because I didn't you know, nail that what Mother said was absolute. I didn't deny it. But I was like, I don't think that's the best angle with it. And she was so friendly. She, she was so warm towards me afterwards. She was, you know, she greeted me after we chatted. She was like, I have never really even thought that I could have a relationship with God, that that was a possibility. And that, and, and I'm trusting. My prayer is that I am assuring. It awakened a desire. And like, I actually want to know God. I didn't know it was possible. I didn't know that's why Jesus came. And finding in terms of relationship with people, people are generally surprised about it. They think it's rules and regulations and or fear stuff. Folks, it's about relationship. Relationships with a purpose. That's what we've been saying about. That is how we see discipleship. It's relationship with a purpose. We absolutely laser focused in our purpose is that I want you to be more Jesus, more devoted to him in, in terms of my relationship, a discipleship relationship with you. That is my goal. That you'd be more sold out to Jesus afterwards then. It's not just relationship, just for the sake of relationship, I want you to know this amazing God that loves you so much. Amen. If you want a scripture, Matthew 14, Jesus, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And I love how Steve Murrell unpacks it, these three F's. Follow Jesus, fish for men, and fellowship with other believers. You want to know what to say? It's, this, it's the three the relationships put differently, the three F's. That is what it's about. Let us not lose our way on this. Now, I want to, I want to share this with you, this scripture. Because if we're talking about discipleship, I've, I've kind of said from that scripture, the three F's, the three relationships with God, with unbelievers, and with the people of God, with his people. But Jesus spoke this about what discipleship is like. And I want to put this up here because, folks, you can't take people to places that you haven't been. Now, discipleship is absolutely, I embrace the call to help others, to follow Jesus, fish for others, and fellowship with other believers. I, I get it. But I can't lead people to places I haven't been. And Jesus knew that he was raising up an army of disciples to change the world, a transformational revival that Michael Cassidy spoke about. He spent three years, folks, most of his time was spent with 12 men who wrote the New Testament scriptures absolutely, but they transformed their world. And Jesus spoke to them about what the essence of discipleship is. We say, it's following Jesus, like a man, I'm following Jesus, you know. But this is how Jesus described it. Then he said to them all, if anyone would, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life, lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet, and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Yo, Jesus! 
<laughs> do you have to say it so strongly, you know? I mean, follow Jesus, I, I get that. But this is like, wow. Folks, this is the real deal. Folks, when we talk about people that change the world, transformational discipleship, folks, there's some, there's some hard places God is calling his church to go to. And that means there needs to be a, a strength inside of us that, <laughs> I want to say, it just jumps into my head. You know these beautiful words. That's cricks for nux, okay? And that is just, it's, it's a word about, <laughs> it's about that gets, that isn't scared for anything, amen? I'm, I'm feeling this potch of the cons anointing. You know, usually I don't mention of the cons because, you know, only cousins still I get it. And, um, but um, this call serious. I put it up in the, in, in the, in the message Bible. Then he told them what they could expect for themselves. Anyone who, tend, who intends to come with me, he has to let you're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you. I love how the message puts it, folks. And I want to actually contrast this. I want to contrast what Jesus said. This is what following Jesus. Folks, this is the places. This is what discipleship looks like. This is what following Jesus looks like. This is where we are taking people to. Amen. I want to contrast it with a word and a concept that I heard probably about 20 years ago. I heard it from a pastor from Florida who, who he joined his people back then. He had a church in Florida and he had, a, he had a newsletter. And he wrote about this concept called narcissism. Narcissism. Okay, there we go. And if you don't know it, it's narcissism. Okay? And, uh, but it's fine. It's also, I never remember how to spell it. I always like to write narcissism. But it's it is so opposite to what the call to follow Jesus and deny yourself that Jesus said is. It is so opposite. And I, I found it fascinating when I researched it. The word narcissism comes from a Greek myth about a guy called Narcissus. Narcissus. Okay? And what's the story about this guy? Apparently, he was very beautiful and he went hunting in the forest. And when he was hunting in the forest, he got thirsty and he went and found this beautiful serene pool in the forest and he leant over this pool to drink some water and as he leant over to drink some water the reflection in the water of his handsome face gripped him he was captivated by how handsome and beautiful and gorgeous he looked and the Greek myth goes that he tried to grab this beautiful image in the water and of course you can't grab a reflection in the water and he was, so, he was so desirous of this beautiful image and he couldn't gra grasp it. The Greek story and myth goes that he literally stayed there and died of hunger, thirst, looking at this gorgeous image of his gorgeous face in the water. Now, 
it's, it's quite a dramatic story. It's a Greek myth, by the way. Okay, just, okay. It's not my story, okay. <laughs> but this is where the concept comes from. So what is narcissism? What does a narcissist look like? Now again, I'm contrasting it with somebody who's following Jesus, who's denying themselves, who's taking up their cross daily. I want to say, if you want to what this it is, okay, it's this. Okay, now, how can you tell if someone is a narcissist? Narcissist. When someone posts one too many selfies on their social media or talks about themselves constantly, okay? You kind of thought narcissist was that dude who died at a pool many years ago. Suddenly you're thinking, I hope nobody chucks an elbow into my ribs right now, okay? You know, I heard the quote about the selfie generation. Somebody said, never has a generation arose in the history of mankind that has photographed themselves so much doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> anyway, and I've heard the selfie generation say, amen, that's me, pastor. <laughs> okay, but you're not a narcissist because you don't post it on social media, do you? Okay. Do you remember the story I told you about Kim Kardashian? Okay. Kim Kardashian, I read this story. Uh, she went with her little kitties. Okay, she has children. Uh, I don't know, I can't remember how many she has. Does she have three or four? Help me. Okay. How come you guys all know how many kids she has? Okay, anyway. She has four. I think she's had one or two herself. The other two were born by surrogate uh, moms, etc. So she didn't birth them herself. So she goes with her kitties down to the, cokes, uh, the coast, uh, Mexico, Cancun, Cancun, somewhere like that. Beautiful coastline. She goes with her kitties. Mom and kitties on the beach. You know, and I'm picturing, there she is building sandcastles with them, you know, in the sand, you know, and, and just having a good time. The article went about her trip. It was not about mom bonding with kitties. I don't know how many servants and she had actually to look after the kids. The article listed how many bikinis, bathing suits she took. Three days down at the beach. She took, I can't remember how many bikinis and bathing suits she took, okay? And these were, you know, these bikinis, she probably got them from poor girls because there wasn't much fabric on them, you know? The poor girls who can't afford fabric, you know? You know, if you have more ma money, you have more fabric on your, on your bikini, okay? She had a number of those really poor girl uh, bikinis. She took 7,000 selfies of herself. And... And I mean, the article, you know, had some pictures. I didn't look, don't worry, I didn't. Let me just tell you, there were no kitties in the pictures. There were no kitties in the pictures. But it was like she's having mom and kitty time at the beach. Now, folks, I don't know Kim Kardashian, and I've heard that her ex-husband is a Christian, and, and maybe she does know the Lord. But I just want to tell you, when I read here, when someone posed one too many selfies on their social media, I was like, my goodness, when you go to the beach and you with you and you taking 7,000 selfies it doesn't sound like somebody who's denying themselves and taking up their cross daily to follow Jesus that is the culture we live in folks and so this message of discipleship is cutting across culture I'm telling you narcissists are not going to change the world narcissists are obsessed with selves how beautiful I am Ka-chink, can you see? Ka-chink, how beautiful I am. Ka-chink, and another one. Ka-chink, and look how beautiful I am from behind. Ka-chink. 
narcissists are not going to change the world. But people who are following Jesus as Lord, I want to tell you, the devil is scared of you. Narcissists, thinking very, very highly of oneself, needing admiration, believing others are inferior. Do you think that's really a godly virtue there? Lacking empathy for others. You know, it's amazing when you go through a, a, a tough time, the calls or messages. My dad passed away a few years ago. I was surprised to believe the message. People who I thought were friends, I was like, business leaders in the world. Wow. Sense of entitlement. Gimme, gimme, gimme. My name is Jimmy exploits, intimidates, or bullies others. Folks, that is, that's really, that is what Western culture, that is what Hollywood is sending our way. We are so opposite to what Hollywood is sending our way. It is so opposite. And so I want to put, and I want to close with this, this is that same verse in the Passion. Folks, this is how Jesus said what disciples, true disciples of Jesus are like. Jesus said to all of his followers, if you truly desire to be my disciple, you must disown your life completely. Embrace my cross. Folks, you know, what is the cross? The cross is two pieces of wood intersecting. And, and for me, Jesus' prayer before he went to the cross so exemplifies what the cross represents. Jesus said, not my will be done, but thy will. Jesus wasn't choosing the cross from his own, I want to do this. He was like, Father, this is going to be hectic, but I choose your will. It's where God's will intersects with our will. And folks, at, an interse- at that intersection, you've got a choice. Is it going to be your will? That's our power. We choose God's ways. We choose His word. We choose His promises. We choose what He says about us. We do what He says, what He desires. That's our power, folks. That's the power of the cross. The cross destroyed the enemy because Jesus says, I choose my Father's will. It's powerful, folks. It doesn't make sense to the world. Denying yourself doesn't make sense to the world. It's like, look after yourself. You know, self-care is in. And, and there are absolute biblical truths to self-care. But not narcissistic self-care. If you truly desire to be my disciples, you must disown your life completely. Embrace my cross as your own. And surrender to my ways. Surrender to my ways. For if you choose self-sacrifice, giving up your lives for my glory, you will have discovery of more and of true life. But if you choose to keep your lives for yourselves, you will lose what you try to keep. Even if you gained all the wealth and power of this world, everything it could offer you, it lost your soul in the process. mystery of life through the cross folks. We 
actually find life through the cross. Because that is the place that the Holy Spirit resurrects us. And we find passions and desires that are so holy and so pure and no fire of the enemy will be able to put out. Amen. We're going to change the world, folks. We need to follow Jesus the way those boys 2,000 years ago did. Denying themselves, taking up their cross and following Jesus. Amen. I want us to pray. And, and you know, you know what, what Awanke shared last week about the Roman soldier who didn't want to get baptized, who, who wanted to get baptized with his one arm out. Folks, I want us to do a prophetic act in closing this scripture actually talks about surrender. That this is about surrendering to Jesus as Lord, as God. And if you're here and you're saying, sure, Lord, I, I really want to see this world changed. I don't know. It starts with me surrendering to you and letting you lead me from here on. If that's you, means if you yeah and you kind of said you know I may have prayed some prayer but uh, I don't know if I really meant it didn't really make a difference in my life but this morning I want to give my all I want to I want to I don't want to have my one arm out and say um, part of me's out if you yeah and you're saying I want to surrender my all to Jesus I want to pray with you and if you're keen to do that I want to ask if you could stand up like you're surrendering. And it could be, it could be your first time. And some of you, it could be. I need to do this again because <laughs> you're saying I'm surrendering to Jesus. You're saying you can pray with me. This prayer of denying yourself is a daily prayer. I don't know if you've done it today, but how about we do it again together? Can we stand together and just lift our hands up in surrender? And, and you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to craft a prayer from the scripture. And I'm going to say, let's pray this. own our life completely and we embrace your cross as our own we surrender to your ways Lord we choose self-sacrifice giving up our lives for your glory 
we embark on a discovery of more and more true life, Lord. Lord, we don't choose to keep our lives for ourselves. But we choose you. All of us, Lord. Lord, we're not leaving a part of our lives out. We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit our website at www.hispeoplepmb.co.za and for more of our messages, visit our YouTube and SoundCloud channels as well as other podcast platforms. If you would like to contact us, please email us at hispeoplepmb at gmail.com or send a message to 061-452-0877. We hope to see you soon. God bless you.